Thank you very much. You may kindly be seated. Thank you, uh, Pastor Mubeshi. A very good evening to each one of you, and uh, welcome to this special session um, on uh, parenting. Let me say at the very outset that uh, the way we have planned part of the year um, is that um, this will only be the first of uh, a few more sessions we would like to have. There's already one planned for uh, next month, about mid-month, which um, will be anchored together with the, um, uh, the marriage program. But the parenting arrangement is, is wider. For, for, for more, because even non-marriage are parents. And that, that's the reality. <coughs> yes, yeah, so it, it's, it's wider and, and we want to keep it that way. So thank you very much for, for coming, um, and it's good to hear those expectations uh, because I think there's room for us to uh, handle those aspects, whether they are directly in what uh, material we have prepared or not. The, this is meant to be a talk and a teaching and then discussion. So one way or the other, we will be able to tackle those aspects. But, our main point of entry uh, is to do with um, the larger uh, trends that are going on, and that is why we entitled this as parenting in an age of open-ended value systems. So that's what we'll be focusing on. Parenting in an age of open-ended value systems. I believe that um, there will be something for you and I to look at. And so let me draw attention to our subject for, for the day. So let me ask you to please rise and we will, we will read together a portion of scripture that you will be very, very familiar with because that is something I would like to spring from. So let us go to Psalm 127, is where we'll begin, and we're going to read, we're going to be referring to both Psalm 127 and Psalm 128. Um, but our teaching is topical, somehow combined with some expositions of scripture, but then we'll keep going with the topic as we run for the evening. 127 is our base scripture, so let me draw attention there once again. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. That is a very bold statement. 
and we will be grappling with a portion of that today. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Then it describes the rat race of life. In vain you rise early. Sounds familiar? <laughs> and stay up late. Rolling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Then it comes to the stage of parenting. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from him. It goes, in the next verse, it goes into what becomes the subsequent uh, activities following the base of parenting. Whether we like it or not, what happens there now in verse 4 depends on our parenting model. And verse 4 takes an approach where if parenting was okay and it was well watched over and it was based on the foundation of God's word as we will talk about here today, sons, like ours rather, in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame. This is the result of parenting. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. So all our children at some point will leave our safety net and go out there. And how they perform out there depends on how we have raised them. And it's a very, very serious thing. So we'll be conversating around that this evening. May the Lord bless you and guide us together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to now get into this discussion and we pray that you will help just build a strong, resilient foundation for all of us as your children. We ask that when all is said and done, we'll be able to look back and kneel humbly and thank you for using us. And we thank you that over the course of time, there are things we know that can be realigned with your word and an account of your word. We pray that that will be our experience tonight. That there are things that we will realign, get back to the compass, get back to the foundation, and things that we can reinforce in terms of values, understand you have saved us, you've given us a strong foundation. We seek these messages tonight through Jesus, all of our Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. You may kindly be seated. Thank you for praying. I'm feeling uh, a lot better last week. 
uh, there was just some uh, free range back that was not coming under control. And uh, we had to lie low and take medication to make sure it completely disappears. And by God's grace, it's coming under control. So we're grateful. Amen. Are there any who are visiting? You're not visiting this assembly today. Uh, you're from another part of the body of Christ and you're visiting with us today. Anybody? Okay, so it's a local arrangement. It's, that's fine. That's very, very fine. We, we got a few queries as to whether people would invite others and we did say yes. Spine, although it's really meant for us to spring forth as a family with some actions. Parenting in an age of open-ended value systems. I'd like to commence by drawing our attention to the biblical mandate, mandate for stable family life and parenting. Three things I'd like to highlight. Uh, the P is going to appear. Okay, this side is so square. I was wondering, parenting. <laughs> okay, this side is no. So let me commence with three things that um, suggest the biblical mandate for step up for stable family life and parenting. Number one, according to the Bible, and based on the passage that we just read, which we're all very familiar with, family life is central and fundamental to the stability of society. It is so central and so fundamental the stability of society. That's what you find in Psalm 127 and Psalm 128. And in part, we have read Psalm 1, in part, meaning part of the two. We've read in full uh, Psalm 127, and we'll reflect on Psalm 128 a little bit later. And because family is central and fundamental to the stability of society, those who seek to project values that are contrary to what God has ordained actually target the family, and we will, we will give evidence of that tonight. We have made reference to that in several of our teachings, as we've done preaching and so on. Uh, but today, in this uh, relaxed discussion atmosphere, we can get a little more graphic. They will target the family. Now, they won't come out at us saying these uh, are people who may introduce themselves as destabilizers of family or causers of confusion or that they are happy when uh, society is unstable. No, they won't even say that. But they push their um, their, their values 
They are open-ended values, which, uh, like I said, will illustrate. They push them with passion. They put money behind those values, those negative values. Essentially, they end up destabilizing society. And the same people who come from another angle into our same countries and talk about corruption, they talk about, uh, and, and, and the corruption issue is real, they talk about political instability, and all those things are real. But they will not take responsibility of the fact that for several years they have run an undercurrent through our school systems, through our professional settings, within industry, and have actually destabilized our society to a level where we have felt like our livelihood is, is, um, is tied to our political activities and everything else. And so we just think our problems are political and we keep cursing one another, we keep insulting one another. And when we get very politically unstable and governable, the same people, especially in mineral-rich, resource-rich countries, the same people come in, in the name of industry and investment, and they rip our resources. The Congo is an example. Even Zambia, to some extent, is an example, although the way it's been done in Zambia is less aggressive than in places like the Congo, where many years ahead, before the cell phone was invented, they saw the value of the kinds of minerals that were in the Congo. And West and East, meaning Western countries and Eastern countries, have literally shared the Congo to this day. And even with the recent seemingly slight glimmer of hope through the elections that were held, even though they were disputed, even with that, there was still interest fighting, not really hoping that the Congo would stabilize. The millions of ladies that have been raped children separated from their fathers and mothers to keep the larger part of the population unstable, mobile, so that they are never ever to be able to make a living. That state in the Congo has kept a good number of countries in the West and in the East well-oiled and their economies running. Their militaries, military systems running. Their technology industries running. While families are dying. And what they're fighting against at that point is a very simple thing. The very fact that God has ordained for family to be the central and fundamental unit to stabilize society. So if we name and shape these strong entities, we would say to some extent, other than our own negligence which has its place, they are responsible for destabilizing nations and societies. And we cannot keep that going. 
so that it me to the next point. Family must be protected. Now this we've talked about before. Nehemiah 4.4 tells us, fight for your families. Fight for your wives. Nehemiah, I'm looking for Nehemiah 4.12. It says, fight for your brothers, fight for your sisters. It, says, it talks about fighting for, you, for your wives. And uh, then it says, fight for your family. Family has to be protected. And we are the ones to do this. Uh, while they are looking for it, let me just go ahead and please turn to it and let's read it together. Okay, it's out there. Then the Jews who lived near the, them came and told as ten times over. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. And that's the scenario. Verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest point of the wall. Uh, you know that program, The Weakest Link? That's the idea there. The lowest point of the wall, at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. And I'm, I'm trusting that the sword, the sword God has given you today will be sharpened by what we do tonight. Hallelujah. Will be sharpened. Verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. So family has to be protected. That's a biblical mandate. And that biblical mandate is from the motif where God says family is what makes society stable. Third, stable family life is a leadership priority and precondition in the New Testament. We all know 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 4 when it talks about an overseer or a bishop that there must be a husband of one wife and that they must manage their own home well. Because if they do not manage their own home well, how can they manage the household of God? So in the New Testament, a stable family is a leadership priority and a precondition to the same. Which means, in society, that must be the same. Now I know that, you know, I, I, I see blogs these days, I hear people talking about politics, ah, no, don't worry, marriage life is private, if somebody has this skill or that skill, you know, they, can, they can just run. You know, these things show up. We cannot take family life away from how somebody will actually run the public affairs. At some point, it catches up. It catches up. So when we look at some of the representatives that we put into elective office, we must analyze carefully where their family values lie. It matters. 
You put some of these people in your office, someday they will be making decisions over the future of your children and mine. It matters where their values lie. And today, the way we have arranged this presentation is such that there are some actions we'll be agreeing upon. Why we want this to simply be the start. We want to agree upon, on, upon some actions because we have preached and talked and talked for too long. We now want action which will actually change things on the ground. So that's a foundation. Three things on the biblical mandate for stable family life and parenting. Family life is central, fundamental to society, societal stability. Secondly, family must be protected. Thirdly, stable family life is a leadership priority and a precondition in that sense. That's what we find in the New Testament. Let's go on to the next level. Since our topic today is about values, I wanted to ask the question, what are values? It's very straightforward. Values are principles or standards, and this is from public domain, principles or standards of behavior. Values are one's judgment of what is important in life. Um, individual beliefs, values are individual beliefs that motivate people to act one way or another. Values serve as a guide for human behavior. So, asking a question to somebody and in relation to what their values are is a very important thing because it tells you something about when, as they say colloquially, where they put their money. Where do they really put their money? Where does it really matter? Values serve as a guide for human behavior. So, our subject matter tonight is, is, um, uh, is hinged or anchored upon the issue of the question of those values. We're needing to see how we can successfully parent in an age of open-ended values. So, this is straightforward. I know that there are many other ways uh, by which we can uh, define values, but we'll, we'll work with this as, as an approach. Uh, a, a little further, let me state. How do values affect human behavior? Values affect human behavior generally because people are predisposed to adopt values that they are raised with. Directly or indirectly, wherever one has been raised, creates the environment of what they pick up. Values are like you and I walking through the, um, the, the smoke that is filling the South African, the Australian um, skies today. I had a news flash from NASA. NASA is saying that they've been tracking the smoke that's been going up from these uh, fires that have gone on in Australia since July. Since July. Unabated. They say that that smoke has now traveled halfway 
across the face of the earth. And that they believe that smoke will travel, so to say, like a better term, full circle across the globe before the smoke settles again within the vicinity of Australian uh, atmosphere. That's what they believe. And I thought to myself, how real? So it's impossible for you to go to Australia today and not be affected by what's in the atmosphere. Once you land in Australia today, you will breathe in what is in the atmosphere. The smoke um, fragments or sediments or whatever they, they might be um, will, will rub off on you one or the other. That's how values are. Negative or positive. In the environment where we are raised, those things rub off on us. So when we hear parents talking about, say, uh, a harsh environment, maybe with step parents, and it's not every step parent, but where a step parent is vicious, vulgar, and ruthless, then that environment affects that stepson or daughter, niece or or nephew that's growing up in that environment. It means that there's a way in which wherever they go, that will have rubbed off on them and either the anger, the rebellion, the vulgarity, or something that happened in that environment becomes part of them. And unless they become conscious of what happened to them and begin to think of how that can be addressed, that's the person that they become. That's how serious it is. People also tend to believe that those values are right because they are the values they are of their particular culture. Um, I have a website there where this was sourced from and you can you know, follow it up with further reading. So this is how values affect human behavior. They generally, we all become predisposed to adopt the values within the environment where we are raised. So, if that is the case, let's ask the question, what are Christian values? What are Christian values? In very simple terms, Christian values are values derived from the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible. That's what Christian values are. And they make a difference. They make a difference. Right now, there is a, a debate in Zambia regarding Bill number 10. Unfortunately, Bill number 10 is caught up in the middle of a number of interests. We from the Evangelical Fellowship of Zambia took time to study it and we made some presentations. But 90% of what we presented was accepted. The committee that's working on that uh, bill has now done a report. And the country is polarized. The civil society organizations that have certain views about the process and have decided to reject it wholesale. There are uh, other organizations that have felt, well, maybe there are some aspects of this bill that can be redeemed. 
And then there are some, for political reasons, who have simply chosen to say nothing to do with Bill Number 10, they've labeled it evil. And I can tell you, frankly speaking, that to say that whole bill is evil is really extreme. Because that's not the case. There are aspects of that bill of that bill that we as Christians are concerned about, and we try to address that through our submissions. What we have now on the table is a report of um, a committee. What we expect of our parliamentarians is that there would be an alteration of that bill in the way that we present it based on the input that has come from the public. But let me just give you an aspect that we were concerned about, which people are treating very lightly, and which people are forgetting has a history. Mr. William Ngomba and his team were on a commission. And in their commission, they proposed for Zambia to become a secular nation. We saw what was happening. We, we worked against it and mobilized the nation. And we did a petition, had 13,936 signatures. We went in and uh, petitioned. And in the draft that came later, they changed. Now, the clause on the Christian nation was the single most subscribed to clause than any other in the constitution process of the then time. It wasn't just subscribed to by Christians. It was general um, populace. Now, eventually, that draft passed. We had the NCC. Then this thing went to parliament, and that constitutional process fell because two political parties could not agree. And then the, the NCC process, which took three years, gave opportunity for 500 representatives of citizens to literally examine every single article and vet it on the field. My assessment as a humble citizen is that that was probably the most thorough and most balanced uh, constitutional process that Zambia has ever had. Then came the technical committee. Technical committee had been largely part of the group that did not want the NCC process. The PF at that time boycotted the NCC. So now that they were in government, President Sata appointed the technical committee. Technical committee went in, they chose a section of the church, Catholic church only, to be part of that technical committee. They, re they didn't want the, uh, uh, the evangelicals. That's the naked history of Zambia. Now when people make those decisions, those decisions have implications. This process, when the technical committee was supposed to complete that process in 90 days, the result of the technical committee constitutional process is this defective constitution that has so many lacunas, which are among which we had the 14-day struggle. We forget. So I can certainly say our constitutional process has been largely politicized. So trying to find a place for addressing that which really needs to be addressed becomes very, very convoluted and confusing. But here's the reason why I'm sharing all this. In this same constitution, there was a portion which we have dealt with 
in the NCC. The NCC draft, initially, which was an offshoot of the Mwamba process, had this multi-religious, 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 it was very, very diluted. And there was a specific committee that dealt with that and rejected it and talked about it as a contradiction in terms that if we're Christian, we must be Christian and we cannot be multi-religious. And it was well balanced with the fact that there was a conscious clause that was still protecting the rights of those who were non-Christian. So it was well balanced. But the technical committee reintroduced the Mount religious and diluted those portions. And any area where we had dealt with Christian values, that was also, again, diluted. Because in the NCC process, we had those who participated, not just the representatives had agreed that there had to be a good balance where directive principles of state policy would have the Christian values as their basis for formulation. All that was you know, played around with. So today, when in Bill 10, there is a proposal, as uh, part of, uh, of, of, of the proposal from the NDA, NDA, the fact that we should not just talk about morality, but talk about Christian morality, there is value to that. Because ordinary morality is a morality not based on the word of God. It's a morality that is open-ended. It fits into the mold of a liberal agenda, which I will be talking about a little more. So what we needed as Christians is to find space where we could take off our political jackets, take off our civil society jackets, because there are certain civil society organizations that are anti-establishment. That's naked truth. There are certain organizations that are anti-establishment. And, and as Christians, somehow we get lost in that and do not realize that in the end, if this building is not handled properly, and you just live with if, and yet it is a modest, some aspect of it, especially if we can have a proper conversation with lawmakers, some aspect of it could address the loopholes that were created by the PF Technical Committee that created the current constitution and did away with a very balanced document that took three years of work that was done by four, over 500 representatives of the Zambian community. The most balanced of constitutional processes that were ever there. At that time, both MMD and UPND let us down because they could not agree on a coalition government. So that process that had taken taxpayers' money for three years and would have given us a much more balanced constitution, fell because UPND at that time chose not to vote with MMD because they could not agree on a, on, on a coalition clause. Now, do you see how? This is how many years later now? How many years later? We're here today, still struggling, and yet, some clauses in, Art, in, in Section 4, and in Article 4 and in Article 8, have serious ramifications for the future of our families. Are, are, you, are we together? So, but we must have space as families to come away from the politicians and to particularize that which matters. So that we can go back in and require our 
our, our, our lawmakers, whether they are opposition or ruling party, they must say what they believe regarding the future of our families by either accepting Christian morality or not accepting Christian morality. Because it has implications. Unfortunately, it's all confused because there are some segments of it that are probably appearing like favoring the establishment or a ruling party, but everybody has a responsibility. So this is what I'm seeking for us to understand today. Christian values are Christian values. They are different from ordinary levels of morality and values. Are we together, beloved? This is heavy, I know. But I think that it is necessary that we handle these things in a fashion where we don't fall prey to just some political expediency and hoping that our political, our preferred political party takes power. Or it is retained in power. At the expense of our sons and daughters and our children. So may God help us. We'll discuss. So, these values are non-negotiables. And they are based on biblical absolutes. So, there are absolutes in the world. And those are the values that we consider as Christian values, derived from Jesus Christ and from the Bible. Alright, that's it. Let's ask another question. Is it a problem if values are open-ended? I gave that, I tried to captionize our constitutional history because I'm telling you that it is an example where without realizing it, in trying to have a more open society, even in the name of democracy, we are actually opening ourselves to a, an open-ended arrangement. Is it a problem if values are open-ended? Yes, it is a problem since it leaves the, the door open to liberalism. What is liberalism? Just everything goes. That's what liberalism is. And everything goes. Open-ended value systems change with time and circumstances. And that's what we're seeing in the world out there. The change with time and circumstances. Um, is this making sense? I, I want to go ahead. We will have time for discussion. So can I go ahead and continue teaching? Is it making sense? If I'm running too fast or it's getting too hot or too heavy, say, Bishop, can you water it down a bit? It's getting too heavy. I'll do that. Let me see your hand if you're following and all is okay. One hand, lift up one hand and shout praise the Lord. Shout hallelujah. All right, let's carry on. So it is a problem if values are open-ended. So, with this, I want to now bring it, the subject into some context of a very specific area that is targeted, and which is what I hope will open the door to the larger part of our discussion today. So I want to highlight two family-related issues on the top human rights agenda uh, in, on the top human rights uh, global agenda. Two. Number one. Uh, Mr. Slimes, I know you work in the uh, health uh, 
sector. And you understand what I'm talking about now. This is as plain as it can be, and this is part of what I want us to work the strategy towards. We'll not exhaust it all tonight, but tonight I have selected some three action points that I hope we can discuss around once I'm done with the presentation. There is a very specific redefinition of family in light of sexual lifestyle preferences. You've heard me thunder from the pulpit, and you've heard others talk about it as well. This is real. And this is one key area where we want to arm the parents today so that we can begin to reverse something that is being done very aggressively. Very aggressively, to say the least. It's an aggressive liberal agenda. Secondly, there is a renewed campaign for sexual reproductive health rights, particularly for young people. This is the language that is going on. Now you recall, a few weeks ago, I showed uh, a video here on uh, comprehensive sexual uh, education. We'll be coming back, not to the video. In fact, tonight I have another video to show, once at an appropriate time. Um, but we will build up on that because I did indicate to you that um, we will have a family forum, and this is what this is. So there's a renewed campaign for sexual reproductive health rights, particularly for young people. Let me highlight two key areas where this is happening. Now this is not new, I've talked about it before, it's just that tonight it is best that we revisit it in this atmosphere. The family agenda, according to the African Union and the United Nations. These are the two key areas. They're using those two doors. The United Nations and they're using the African Union. And both the United Nations, the African Union, the United Nations have that and it's all weaved even into the, uh, the SDGs. It's all there. It's all there. So, when you talk about the health, the SDG dealing with health and the wellness of people and so on, somewhere in there, it's all there. When you look at the African Union and you look at Agenda 2063, in some of the things that are done, it's in there, even though it appears as if it's more there in the African Union arrangement than it is in the UN. So I want us to examine some key documents from both institutions. The AU common position on the family is one document we'll examine just now. Then we have the African Union plan for action on, African, on the African family. I have an excerpt from there, which I'll share with you just now. Then I want to make reference to the UN resolution, which is a stroke. LRES stroke 47 stroke 237, which is the resolution on the Internet International Day of the Families. Sounds good, but I will share with you what we think is missing and why this is an agenda that we cannot take with our eyes closed. 
Are we safe? Can we move on? So, let's look at some excerpt from the African Union common position on the family. Here is what it says. As the core of society, the African Union document says, the family can be seen in three dimensions. One, firstly, as a psychobiological unit where members are linked together by blood ties, kinship relationship, personal feelings, and emotional bonds of its members. The African Union position continues. Secondly, as a social unit, family is a social unit where members live together in the same household and share tasks and social functions. Thirdly, the African Union says family is considered as the basic economic production unit. It is therefore imperative to provide sustained support and encourage cohesion of the family to enable it to play its role. In this regard, it is necessary to develop and implement social policies to address the various concerns of families. Sounds reasonably okay. So that's one document. I want to sample from a second document, quickly. They're just excerpts I picked, and soon we'll be ready for a discussion. Second is the African Union Plan of Action on African family, family priority areas. And these are the priority areas, the seven of them. One, poverty alleviation. Two, rights. Everybody say rights. Rights associated, rights to social services, education, family health, now family health and reproductive health. Ah! Now we're talking. That's where it's all hiding. Family health, yes, it's important. Reproductive health, yeah, that's important. But we will understand how they promote it. Third, promoting environmental sustainability, environment, water and sanitation, adequate shelter, land on and land ownership. Very good. Fourth, rights, duties, responsibilities. The nine of them actually said seven. Um, next. Number five, rights of protection of the family. Six, strengthening of family relationships. Seven, control of major causes of morbidity and mortality. Seven, uh, eight rather, ensuring peace and security. And nine, following up evaluation and monitoring. So, those are nine uh, action points in the plan of action for the African family. These are the priority areas by the African Union. And they all look good. So let me quickly get to the heart of the matter. Next slide. So what is missing? I highlight five things that are missing. Number one, in these documents, inclusive of what we find in the, uh, the, uh, the um, UN documents, which I haven't referred to uh, that much, but let me make reference to that. Number one, there's no formal reference to sexual preferences, rights of LGBTIs, yet you and I know 
that that is what is highest on the agenda. But you don't see it in those documents. You don't see it in those priorities. But that's what's high on the agenda. That's what our countries are being forced to highlight. So conveniently, that's what we must talk about so that we can talk about like the recent episode here in Zambia. Are we concerned about corruption in Zambia? Yes, we are. We don't want it. It's a cancer. But we can talk about corruption. But we, we don't have to weave this into saying, well, uh, don't fight the rights of gays. You deal with corruption as well. No, we deal with corruption. But we also don't want them to push us into accepting things that are contrary to our Christian values. And parents must speak up. It's difficult sometimes for politicians to speak up. Some of our political leaders have spoken up now, and it is good. Our president has spoken up, and that is good. So no formal reference to sexual preference, yet sexual preference is higher in the agenda. Secondly, the reference to uh, at, at one point, I have mentioned uh, the comments of uh, Ambassador, former Ambassador, or as Ambassador Rastas Moinchen, that title they carry with them, but former Deputy Chairperson of the African Union. At one time, as we were attending a meeting in Uganda, I heard him say, we're living in a day and time where nations are turning towards Sodom. I thought that was such an apt description of where we are today. Nations are turning towards Sodom. Um, the next thing that is missing is that there is no actual definition of their concept of the family. So the African Union has not actually defined as to what their understanding of families. They've talked about things that must be prioritized for the family. But there's nowhere in the African Union documents where family is defined. What do they understand as the family? Nothing in the UN documents that says what they understand family to be. And that's deliberate. Because they don't want to be locked in on some definition. When we come to the Bible, it's absolute. Family, father, mother. Meaning male, female. And then, where applicable, children. It's clearly defined in absolutes. So when we have defined family, we can ring fence it and protect it properly. But these nations and these organizations have opened the door where the configuration, the divine configuration of the family by God is now under threat because they're beginning to say that a woman and a woman can form a family and then have the legal right like everybody else to adopt children. That a man and a man can adopt family that a young person can be born, not allowed to be called male or female, allow them to grow, and when they are grown up, let them choose whether they are male or female. That's what's happening. 
in Britain, that's what's happening in America, that's what's happening in most of Europe. And those are the things they have included in the curriculum of comprehensive sexual education, which, I, I dare say, as I preempt it, is being rolled out right now in our Zambia, in our schools. Next, the AU document. When you look at the AU document, one assumes from the document contents that it is a traditional family in view, meaning father, mother, and offspring. But they don't see that. So our assumptions could be wrong. Let me also mention that something that doesn't appear in either in the UN documents or definition of, of pages that refer to the family or the AU or the African Union is church. Church does not feature at all, although it is sometimes covered under what they call civil society. However, the virtual acquiescence of church is worrying. So, I'm talking to parents today. Do you see why we must begin to be concerned? It's precisely here. And some of you parents are working for institutions that are pushing this agenda. We want to prepare you to know how to act in those institutions. If push comes to shove, we want to help you find other jobs. Yeah? But before you think of that option, we expect you to be able to stand up there for your family. To stand up in those organizations for the family. Hello? To stand up in those organizations for the family. So, here is why we believe that money is being pushed in this direction. Then, I'll begin to tell you, we'll watch a brief video and uh, I, I will take you towards some, um, some actions that we will agree on for today. All right. Just statements. Um, as far back as 2011, Prime Minister Cameron, on the 30th of October 2011, at that time, at a common gathering in Australia, specifically said donor aid will be tied to acceptance of LGBT rights. Now, these are documented in Chapter 6 of my uh, thesis. I've talked about that from here often. That's important. A similar call was made uh, by the then USA Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, from Geneva on the 6th of December, a day before, uh, two days before the Human Rights Day. A statement, thirdly, by the UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon was made at the African Union in 2012 in Addis Ababa, shortly uh, before coming here. And right there on the ground of the African Union, before our leaders, he called for a recognition of sexual orientation as a right. As if that was not enough, you and I know that Mr. Ban Ki-moon came and stood at Manda Hill before our parliamentarians and said it was about time that the issue 
that Zambia had an opportunity as it was doing its new constitution to now go for the highest in terms of human rights. And he talked about the rights of children, the rights of women, and the rights of the disabled. And he talked about sexual orientation. In the same line, how can sexual preference be placed at the same level as the rights of children, women, and the disabled? All those are protected in here. Rights of women are protected in here. They are among the absolute. Rights of children, they are protected in here. Sexual preference is indicated in here in Romans 1. It is indicated in many portions of scripture that uh, uh, an orientation of sexual life that is contrary to what God has ordained is a perversion. This word says, so we can't make that the human right. Now, it is possible that with the bombardment that we have faced today, that any one of your children could get up one day and say, by the way, I'm gay. It's very possible. What will you do? It is very real. Very, very real. So we have got to be at that place where we've created a set of values that we can rely upon. Proceed. I want us to get to the. I want us to just watch this video for a moment. Uh, pause before we start. So what is happening here is that the way the world has set itself up, we have now come to a place where the most difficult grouping to deal with are the millennials. Because they are the ones that are targeted. They are now in the ranges of 2030. Millennials are defined as those that were born from 94 onwards up to now. It's a very difficult. Some of them, in fact, consider some of our biblical values as archaic. And I want us tonight, as short after this, I will suggest some point of actions we'll discuss and then, you know, we'll call it a day and prepare for uh, our next forum, which is next month, somewhere about mid-month. So I want us to hear this discussion about millennials and how the gentleman Steve uh, perceives, based on some research, why they behave the way they do in industry. But I see this as having some real insight for us. I have yet to give a speech or have a meeting where somebody doesn't ask me the millennial question. Um, what's the millennial question? Apparently, millennials as a generation, which is a group of people who were born approximately 1984 and after, are tough to manage. And they're accused of being entitled and narcissistic, self-interested, unfocused, lazy. Did you relate to that? So what I've been doing over the past few months is looking at data 
from research and how people are getting to these realizations regarding family. You remember when we had the, um, the family day, I referred to data regarding stability of family and the resilience that's actually there in um, marriage arrangements and that many more marriages and families are actually surviving. Contrary to what some of the popular negative uh, messages have been in the negative data. So it's important. Um, in the past few weeks, I've shown two video captions. One on comprehensive sex education, which is part of what uh, I say was occasioning uh, this session that we have. And this session that we have is also part of our approach for this year because we're looking at um, harvest retention and we're being discipled to disciple. So what we're doing tonight is really an attempt to disciple the family. And we will work on this a little more as we go on in the year. So you have an open-ended value system that's being pushed through industry, pushed, being targeted, going past us. And that is why some of the terminology we don't even fully understand. And they mean that. It's, it's part of, the, it's, it's part of the, um, uh, the system. It's supposed to go past us. But the young people grab this stuff. They pick it up. They are quicker at responding. So which means, if we could change that equation at parental level, we can arm these young people to ask the right questions and to know what to do. We definitely can't um, you know, push this down their throat. And that has to come with how we parent. But we can model. We can have conversations. And we want to create those conversation points even here in the church. In March, uh, we are looking at a forum for the young people like this so we can deal with their issues very directly. So we can change this equation. And that is why, before we close off tonight, I wanted to suggest three action points and then we open it up for discussion we'll be done for the evening uh, can we go to the last three slides please so if the millennials are the ones most affected what could our way forward and action points be i want to suggest the following I would like us, as an assembly, first of all, internally, to start an awareness process, internally, and to work that through our life groups. And when it is sufficiently part of us to begin to look at how we can network with others in the body of Christ, We have to be very specific 
with sexual reproductive health and rights. The way it is positioned now in this set of open-ended values is harmful to us. They're giving contraceptives anyhow. And it's in the name of, you know, reproductive sexual health rights. So young people at 15, here, here's Daphne was talking about a 15-year-old. I've seen that young lady, that 15-year-old young lady. Is, um, 15 years pregnant. When did it happen? When did this 15 year old live? At what point was she away from parents? We can't tell. But we've got to have conversations. So, I know that we would have come to the meeting asking, looking, trying to find three ways of the best parenting approach. Uh, we've had a lot of those principles. We need to niche this now around the actual entry points. And the actual entry points into our homes are these things. They're coming through the movies. They're coming through the games. They're coming through web books. They're coming through comic books. What I'm talking about here. These are harmful to us. They're giving contraceptives and allowing for abortions to adolescents while emphasizing that sex is a right. It's happening here in Zambia. Let me be specific. Those of you working in the health sector know. IPAS has partnered. IPAS, right? Has partnered with the Ministry of Health. IPAS has centers in every province of Zambia. And IPAS, alongside uh, a few other groups, are running clinics today. They are abortion clinics. And abortion remains illegal in this country. But somehow, they are managing by talking about the fact that they are doing the best they can to allow for self-abortions. And it's all in the name of reproductive sexual health rights. And in fact, quietly, they are looking at ways in which the laws can eventually be changed. And those of you in the medical profession know the struggles you have in terms of your ethics as doctors and nurses and what the laws provide. And we know that there are those places of ethical questions that have to be answered. Suppose the life of a child is in danger or the life of a mother is in danger. Can, is it okay for medical personnel to allow for, uh, to choose which one must leave? And so on. And, they, and there's a law the levels of, uh, of seniority at which um, you know, those, those uh, practices are ethically either allowed or disallowed. And we need to acquaint ourselves with that. But that's happening. So this is one area. There are just three areas I'm suggesting tonight before we discuss. Second area I'm suggesting. In the message four weeks ago, I talked about, I showed a video that um, presented uh, graphically the dangers of comprehensive sexuality education. Teaching children about various genders, redefining, that's supposed to be redefining there, redefining and expanding the concept of families beyond mother and father. Further, they are teaching them about various and all types of sex 
oral sex, anal sex, masturbation. It's all in the CSC curriculum. And this curriculum targets children between 5 and 12. These two programs, I dare say, are being implemented in Zambia right now through the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Education. And I want us, as families, to sit and say, what shall we do? This is what I want us to talk about. Tomorrow, we can do a seminar on 10 ways of successful parenting. That will come. We've got time for that. But we've got no time. Because this is actually gaining ground. And we must find a way among ourselves to say, what shall we do? How shall we speak with our parliamentarians and with our policy makers? And when everybody's talking 2021, 2021, these are the things we must be talking about. Mm. Not just either maintaining people in office or getting new ones into office while our families are going. Hello. This is where, as the Americans say, the rubber meets the road. Third, I'm suggesting, as a matter of action. Third, I'm suggesting that we need to take keen interest with specific organizations. Planned Parenthood Association. Uh, marriage clubs. Look, my gloves are off. Right. <laughs> Hello? Marriage clubs. They do a few other things. You can go there for circumcision, you can do that, and that's fine, you know, preventing HIV and the like. But man stops and plant parenthood here in Zambia. I can say they have conducted abortions, illegal abortions, and you and I cannot sit there and say that we are okay with the way we are parenting. They have an agenda of implementing a full LGBTQ-supported uh, program. And that's putting our kids at risk. Like I said, I can tell you, I know you laugh, but there are parents that, maybe not necessarily in this church, but there are parents that have a chance to ask us, Bishop, what do I do? My son says he's gay. And, and let's not close our eyes. It's very possible. It's very possible that even right, right within families affected here in the church, there may be laws. So we need to arm ourselves. What must we do? But we must remember that it didn't just happen. It happened because maybe for 12 years, your son, our son, these children have been exposed through policies that are being uh, pushed by your taxes and my taxes. And we left it open. And that there are some of you as parents who are on salaries that are paid by these organizations. I'm not saying quit the job, but I'm saying read the fine line and ask yourself the question. 
Isn't it time for you to be an investor in that organization? Isn't it time for you to, to be the eyes and to come and let us know what's happening so we can know how to support you and how together to take the tide? So, beloved, um, I know it's been heavy, but I thought tonight we start a conversation on how we can parent together in an age of open-ended values. I thank you. Um, so this is just a start. We won't aim to exhaust everything tonight. Why don't we have a few discussions around some of what we discussed today, including just setting us up for our next meeting so that we can we can know what to do. Um, any thoughts? And I would like some responses around the three action points. And, and some thoughts as well. How can we make this work? And when I talk about awareness, it also means that we have to increase our levels of understanding. That can come, but at least I've raised the flags. That's what I meant to do tonight. So let's let's hear some some responses. Yes, you have to. It's being recorded, so please come. I didn't expect this. Even when I was coming, I thought it was the usual topic on parenting. This uh, personally scares me. But may I start my submission? With uh, one scenario that I had uh, many years ago, I'm married to what we're talking about now. Where, when, whilst I was still single, sleeping in uh, the dining room for my uh, elder sister, I was woken up by my elder sister who, all along, she was hearing things happening outside. Twice she came and peeped on me and uh, she went back to her bedroom. The third time, only to, as she was peeping on me, only to find two people quickly running out of the house, jumped through the window and they ran out. There were thieves who broke in, who from her description says one of them was standing right by the edge of my bed with two very sharp tools ready to pounce on me if I had woken up whilst they were busy patrolling the house to steal. I thank God that I remained asleep because had I just twitched in my dream, I wouldn't be here tonight. That, I think, Bishop, is exactly the scenario of what is happening now in light of what you have shared, where we are fast asleep, but there is this giant who is already right beside us, ready to stab. Or, to put it more precisely, this giant is already stabbing whilst we are busy debating on which political side we are at as to whether we have this LGBT, we need those abbreviations spelled out, the LGBTQ, <laughs> sounds like a mambo jambo alphabet, we need to know. Uh, and, and, and you're right, we, we have to raise our, our awareness, so it's lesbian, gay, um, Bisexual, transsexual, sometimes they say intersex, or queer, where they, they uh, remove the, the, the I 
and, and put the Q, queer. It's actually queer. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. LGBTQ. Sometimes you say LGBTQI. If they add the I, it's still intersex because some do the crossing. Thank you, Bishop. Given those two scenarios, I, I'm grateful that you've been able to end this discussion today by highlighting the three action points that we need to take. But uh, may I add, Bishop, and I think, say, I think uh, we are past the era of keeping this within the house. Because like you are saying, and the statistics you've brought up, the institutions that you've mentioned, and people in the Ministry of Health and already confirming to us that these things are happening. I think uh, beyond even uh, the scenario of the smoke of Australia now almost going around the globe, this is equal an issue that needs immediate and urgent attention. As you were talking, I'm visualizing you, Bishop, calling for a sitting with parliamentarians, going on radio, going on TV, mm. to bring out these issues. Because we are there seated as parents thinking, my children are safe because I've never heard the word gay in my home or anything. But out there, on social media, where children are being exposed, definitely these things are happening. And they could have even their friends who are already into it if these things are not already stepped into the home. It's very easy for Wasiru Messi and I, given our background, we were always talking of Pafayaku, as in where parents in our homes, mom knows what I'm talking about. Pafayaku was in, in our nosy cultures. It was an issue that a parent not used to use, not a mulberry stick, but the dried skin of a hippo. When you have done something silly in the home, dad or mom would bring Pafayaku and really hammer you with it. It was, it was unbreakable. I think it's time that Bishop, we used Pafayaku in this case. It sounds like a light issue that we can just, in the few of us here we sit about, we will go back and just talk about in our homes. But Bishop, it is swallowing our society. For me, beyond just the three action points, let's get out on radio, let's get out on TV. Other than me, yes. rather than me watching Zoo at 20 hours today, I would rather see this on Prime TV. I would rather see this discussion, Bishop, and hear about it or let the people talk come Friday. Sorry, but I'll hook you up to Ruchi. We want to, see this we want to hear this on the people talk, Bishop. We can sit here and just be around and we get back to our, the comforts of our homes and we forget about it. But let's bring it out so that then we can be able to bring out the heavier side of Biuten so that we can rightly be able to support these things or not support them with knowledge. But let it spread out to our society beyond the little zones that we've created among us ourselves just as well with the same. That's my submission, Bishop. Thank you very much. Well noted. Uh, there's a hand at the back. Pafayaku. <laughs> That's a serious one. Ah! This is nice. I'm glad to get a... Millennium. Millennium. Ready to talk. 
I'm not supposed to be here. Would you wait here? I have to say that this issue concerning sexual whatever, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of come late because I, I was in grade four when our teacher was teaching us how to use a gun. She came and then she was like, no, this is in the syllabus. So as kids, we thought it was okay because she invited some parents. Some parents came while we were learning. She, she told us to invite our parents, but I think I kind of forgot. So the next day, I didn't know what it was. So the next day, um, we went to school and then she came with these small plastics and then she started showing us all these things. And concerning the part where my friends are going to hit you. Concerning the part for where that man was talking about us as millennials, I haven't really experienced much of that, but what I can say from my experience of seeing other children, even small bits of myself, I can say that that's really true. Because the hugest, biggest impact is social media. I'm not saying it's bad. Social media is good, but time. Because you tend more, especially on Instagram, I don't really have a big impact on Facebook. Because that's bad and I just but Instagram, you tend to try to look a certain way to get certain likes. If you don't have this certain amount of likes, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah, and it does it easy. Okay, even the thing about parents, I'm not saying my mom is a bad mom. I'm saying um, my mom. Personally, I think has taught me well because I can see other children like they need to get this thing. If they don't have this thing, it's a problem. And this same thing for getting an award for being last. It's when they come into the real world, it becomes hard for them to cope because like they'll be thinking, no, when I was in school, I used to get this awards but how come me I'm the lowest and I'm not getting anything and that actually really makes sense to me and also the thing I support Mr. Mujita I don't want mommy don't be <laughs> but I think certain corporal discipline should be taken in because <laughs> It does need sometimes, because <laughs> no amount of weight to change anything. It just need it sometimes, not all the time. I think it's really about parents listening up. Don't be so uptight. You need to talk to your children. You need to tell them, ask them, oh, how was school? What? And try, try to. <laughs> Try to get involved in their lives. Don't just leave them to grow alone. Because this, I also get scared. Because it now teaches me to reserve myself, to know what I have to do, to know the places I have to go. Because it's scary. It's 
honestly scary. So I just encourage parents today to really be with be with their children more and to engage them in church matters. Like not we get tired, like you know, wake up in the morning, five, dress up, but you just have to force us because that's your job. <laughs> They can come up with statements to say, if you don't 
if you don't um, respect this right, or if you don't observe this right, you won't get the aid. Why? Because they know that we are in needy positions. Uh, we are in needy situations. And so I think one of the things that we need to look at Africa, I think, is dealing with the issue of poverty. So that we are not beggars. So that we are not beggars. I know we are getting all these things because we are at a big, a big point. And some nations are actually struggling. Struggling to say no to these things that are being thrown at us because they know uh, their economies will go down if they if they say no. And so, as Zambia, I think we need to state our position and make it very clear. Where do we stand? And I think the opportunity again, uh, as Bishop had said earlier, I think we have an opportunity coming uh, as we begin to prepare for the for the next I know, elections. One thing that I start there wondering is, how is it that we have these organizations, you know, that we are alluded to, doing all these things in our country, and the leadership is there in the country. Mm -hmm. So is it that they don't know about these things? Is it that they have said yes quietly and we don't know about it? Because I tell you, unless the leadership is against those things, those people will not operate. That's true. Yeah. They are operating because somehow, somewhere, they've been allowed to do that. Otherwise, if they are not allowed, they will not be here today. So I think these are some of the things that we, be, we need to begin to speak into. How is it that they've been allowed for so long to do these things? So we need to, we need to take it up and begin to ask our aspiring candidates, so to say, what is it that they envision Zambia to be in the light of this in the coming years that would warrant us to vote for them or to put them in office? These are things, I, we listen to these things in, uh, in the, uh, in the um, uh, talk, uh, talk radio shows and all that. So if we ever call, if you ever call, I think these are some of the questions that we need to put out to our leaders. You know, we need to ask them to these aspiring candidates. What are we going to do about these issues? This is going on. What is your take on this? Let's hear where their positions are, where their position is on that. Thank you, Bishop. Take one. Yeah, please come. Another millennium. All right. This is what I like. I love this one. Another millennium. Uh, can we take just one more so that we can begin to wrap up? We are aiming to, it's 20 past now, we need to, in the next 10 minutes, we must close. Right, go ahead. Um, good evening, dear parents. I am representing my colleagues from the Young African Thinkers. Um, I've been working with my colleagues on an issues paper, and it so happens that right now we're reviewing the paper, and I'm actually very um, excited to be here today because my area is on early childhood development and parent education. Um, for me, I do agree with what Shekana has said um, regarding the parent and child relationships. And as young African thinkers, we also believe that interventions in the life of a child and how a child develops do not start at age 12, at age 14. And that is the reason why um, in the school syllabus they are being taught as early as grade 4. 
Um, these interventions should be made while a child, for us we believe that while a child is still in the womb is when the life starts. Um, at conception is when the life of a child begins. So these interventions are to be made while your child is still at age two, at age three, is when you should begin to inculcate these values and these cultures. I like how Bishop spoke about um, values being like a smoke. A child being in an environment of tension and all those um, terrible cultures, these affect the child even as they grow up from as early as conception, as, as age two, as age three. So as parents, or oh, as a parent in the making, I believe that we need to be very... <laughs> our children. I believe I'm also a parent because I have three siblings and I heard that dad was um, laughing with Antisio so that I'm being a parent now but it is now like I'm only 19 and if I'm late to do exact, just what I want to do I'm going to raise my children in that same manner. So it begins now. It begins at age three. You begin to train your child to train your grandchild and their great-grandchild. Um, I also um, believe that we need to bridge the gap between parents and children and we actually have research on this yes. as young African thinkers and I'm going to quote from our paper, it says, undeniably healthy parent-child relationships improve children's interpersonal skills, positivity, self-esteem and also lessens the risk of substance abuse and violent behavior. So those issues that we had heard about regarding the millennials can be dealt with by um, a parent and a child relating well. I'm going to just bring out a little secret, but um, sometime last year, I remember when I was, um, what's the word, discovering myself and the like, I remember I told mom in the kitchen and I said, if I don't ask you for advice on relationships and my feelings and the like, who am I going to turn to? My friends? We're all still discovering ourselves. So if we are not partners, me and mom, me and dad, me and auntie, so in the church, how are we going to grow up into good leaders who are going to take the mandate of the church forward? Thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, I think it's, it says this is um, an important um, affirmation of where we are at. And one thing from Shekinah was maybe some of what we're discussing now is coming too late. And that's real. We've lost some time. But there are things we can do. And when we hear Tamela speak the way she has spoken here, you can understand this is real. We have a generation that's able to turn this thing around. Because they have the grasp. And they have a respect for the values. So, this time around, what I would like us to do as a church. I agree with Bomo uh, Vita that we're not going to keep this just for ourselves, but we have to have a base. I want us to be convinced that this is part of our mission. Amen. And that this is the best way to engage. Going back to Psalm 127, 
we engage first of all in the home. So I can go back to Psalm 127 as I wrap this up. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that attempt to build. So unless the value base is for the honor of the family institution, that's an absolute. Unless he himself becomes the foundation. And how does he become the foundation? When you and I see what's happening for what it is, and we call off the issues as they ought to be called off, we call them out and specify them and begin to handle them one by one. And one arsenal that people are using today into our families is among the three that I just highlighted, which speak of our points of action. They're using our very human sexuality as an entry point. So we have to have healthy conversations in the home with our children. I know in the African setting, he said, or go to your auntie. And there's a place for those mothers, aunties. My, my saying, excuse me, not so. There's a place for those mothers, but as we've heard from both Shekinah and Tumelo, you as the direct parent, the direct guardian is raising the child. Don't be so uptight. Begin to lay the foundation blocks so the Lord can build that house. At number 20, Chakeluka. That house. At number 15, Fise, fise, wherever you are living, the house in which you live, let God build it. And let me say practically, for ourselves as a church, I know that uh, sometime last year, we gave a task as a board of Sunshine School to our school management. This is stuff we're discussing. If we're going to challenge and have a conversation with the Ministry of Education. And we ourselves are involved in the health sector. And we're running a school. Our school must be the first one to demonstrate that it can be done. We can't, as a Christian school, that's what we said to our management at Sunshine School. We said we can't be a Christian school. And we just keep taking what Ministry of Education is giving us the curriculum and we just keep giving it to our teachers and they keep churning out whatever they need to. No, if we're going to challenge that content, we also have a base and a platform where within the space of us being a private school, as a Christian school, we can convey those values. So we have given that task to our school management. We, expect, we are expecting them to come back to us with a plan. In fact, that's supposed to be part of the thing this year. So let me use this to say 
it's also necessary for you to take your children to sunshine. Because we are determined through our own channel to change our society. Amen. Amen. A Christian school must stand out as a Christian school. Must stand out. So, in these three areas that we have discussed here today, I would like to suggest that when we meet next, um, we, we, we discuss some actual practical things. One of them has been suggested by Mr. Mbita here, where we take this discussion and repackage it and put it to the public square. That means that at some point we have to come up with, with teams. Some of you have the skills, come up with teams, we, we package the information. Some of you are researchers. It means that we will, what I am envisaging, secondly, from another point of action, is that there's no problem in us, as a church, inviting other families and us coming up with a paper where we state our consents, but in an informed manner. We state our consents. We can quote articles and sections of our curriculum or our policy in the Ministry of Education or the Ministry of Health. We specify where those concerns are. So that, Pastor Mwembeshi, in that sense, then this is how we address. Our leaders are doing this, and we are quiet. Yes, they are responsible, but we are also responsible because we are not asking them, why have you done this? So now is the time where we can do this practically. Then, once we have this kind of thing, we can write to Parliament. You know we can do that. So as a group of families, we can write to Parliament, we can actually sit with our parliamentarians. That's the kind of action we must be talking about yes. going to 2021. We have our families at stake. So that's what I'm suggesting, and we will have to form teams from within here among parents. There'll be time for that. Amen. So responding to the input from yourselves. And for our young people, we'll have a forum march with our young people. There'll be some actions from there as well, which we can support as parents. But it starts in the home. Let's engage. And the Lord is watching over your home, watching over the city. And then we can take our children, send them out as powers, and they can contend in the city gates. Not all is lost. God is able. In fact, when you hear Shekinah and Tumelo talking like this, you know there is hope. So I want you to go home today knowing there is hope. And don't give up on the children that appear to be wayward. Don't ever give up on them. Like I've said from the pulpit here, even if they are rebelling, let them still know that after they've gone around and there are all kinds of, some of them might even end up being locked up one day and then those things might happen. Never give up on them. Don't just say, hey, we're in jail. No, no, no. no. Let's never give up on them. Let them know that when they come out, there is a home where they are loved, where we can share the values because we have to win this battle in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we will close here. Let me ask you to please stand. Okay, we told. We need to 
to an offering. Uh, all right, let's, let's do that. But, but first, before we do that, just lift your hands. Uh, and let's, for 30 seconds, let's just pray into this space. Lift your hands. Uh, this is a night of hope. We, we will, in fact, what I'm suggesting is that as we call for the next meeting, it's that week of um, the last Friday, the very week that we have, uh, um, what is it called, Valentine. The publication that the, the uh, Vicky and team are doing, which should be out within uh, weeks now, has the calendar at the back. All these dates are in there. And there will be a, another forum like this in February. My encouragement is invite parents, other parents. Because at that point, we will be wanting to actually make a team assign tasks. Some of you who are gripped with what I'm saying here, feel free to come and volunteer as a bishop. Because of my area, I know the curriculum enough. I'm going to volunteer. I will do my homework. I'll actually show you in the curriculum. These are our concerns. I will restudy it, and I will, I will have a, a critique and a document on your table. Those kinds of things, as God is putting it on your heart, please pick them up, because we are getting to the action. So for now, lift up your hands, and let's just spend for 30 seconds, pray into the space of your parenting. So Lord, uh, I need your help. We need your help. Just pray into that space. Ask God, no matter how intricate the situation is with your parenting situation, and say, so, Lord, I want to be uh, the change. Uh, I want to be the one that you use to close those open-ended values and instead to be able to present the values of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, we honor you. Thank you. Glorify you for what you've done here tonight for conversation what it has brought to us. So we submit ourselves to you. We ask that you will work with our homes. We know that there are areas where we've not done as well as we ought to. Forgive us, Lord, and sustain us. Cleanse us. Our desire is to be instruments for change. And we are trusting you to build. And unless you build, we will be building Unless you watch over the city, we'll be standing up in vain. We'll be getting up early, doing all our chores, making money, making livelihood, and yet not being able to bring the stability that you want us to bring into the society. So we ask you, Lord, that you will grant us capacity as a church family to work, to collaborate, to open up to our children, our conversations will be with strength. Thank you for our millennials who have spoken out today, spoken into the situation, helped us to see the practicalities that lie in this space. So we submit ourselves to you and we surrender our hearts. And we say for sure there is hope. We will fight and we know that you will fight the battles for us. We seek this message tonight through Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, with thanksgiving.